being able to find something you can appreciate and something that you typically loathe. And if you can find just the one thing like, well, it helped me be a little more loving. I learned something new about people or you know what the sun's out today or whatever it is. That's how you expand. This week, I have a conversation with Danielle Laporte. She's a writer, an author, a poet, and someone that, as you'll hear in this, I've not only had a conversation with on this podcast before, many years ago, seven or so years ago, we figured out, but she's someone I have read her books and followed her work for over a decade. And at the end of this, actually, we talk about how I found her, and we cover a lot in this, everything from non-attachment to self-help exhaustion and how we don't need to fix ourselves. She gets into her thoughts on time and what she called tyrant time versus power time and how she bends time. We talk about overworking and taking on too many projects and cycles and She even tells me what she likes and doesn't like about being interviewed at the end. So here's my conversation with Danielle Laporte. Thank you so much for being here and listening. I'm so happy that I got to reconnect with her after so many years, and I hope this is useful and entertaining and interesting. Her new book is called How to Be Loving and Everything. All the links will be in the show notes to all of her previous books. Here's my conversation with Danielle Laporte. Hey, we're doing it. Danielle Laporte is back on the podcast. I'm I'm so happy that you're here. We were chatting before we started recording this, trying to sort out in our brains the timeline of when we did this last. And you were like, oh, maybe it was two years ago. And I was like, yeah, I think so. And then I remember I looked it up today. That's the only reason why I know it. It was 2016, which in my brain does feel like two years ago. But I know it does. I'm with you. It's all a time warp right now. It's wild. Well, I'd love to start in the present, actually. What have you been learning or contemplating lately? What's been on your mind? Mm. Simplicity. Um, Not being bored by peace. (laughs) Uh, Like not chasing the next thing. And also, I've just... One, like, really hot lesson in the last couple months has been what you run from what you run from will chase you. So, which gets into like a, this deeper lesson around aversion and how if we try to like avoid what we have aversions to, it just creates more of a magnetism to the things you don't like. So that's what I'm on about these days. I wrote that down because I heard you speak about this and obviously like much of your work, it really resonated with me. and. I wanted I want to dive into this a little bit more because 
it's it's similar to what we resist persists, right? Is it yep. is it kind yep. of in the same the same bit? metaphysical dynamic? Yes. Around this, one of my favorite bits recently from your work has been your perspective on letting go and loving what you need to let go. So I would love to, you know, put the penny into your jukebox to to talk about that here. But first, you know, is how do you see that related to what you just said about this concept of what you run away from chases you or mm. what you resist persists? Ah, that's a great, that's a great question. So good to mash this up because what this really gets into is loving what's happening. Like, and I talk about that a lot and how to be loving. It's like, how do we cultivate this capacity to love ourselves as is to love what's going on in the moment, even though it's not what we planned or it's unpleasant. Cause that really is, that's it. That's how we get to peace. That's how we dissolve suffering. That's how we tap the joy. It's just like, what's happening right now? Can you find something in it to be grateful for? Can you find something sweet and charming about it? Being able to find something you can appreciate in something that you typically loathe. It's something that you typically have been running away from and like a pet peeve or the most annoying quality of the most annoying person or like, you know, your dream goes south. And if you can find just the one thing like, well, it helped me be a little more loving or I learned something new about people or, you know what, the sun's out today or whatever it is, that is, I was going to say the sweetest creativity create creative movie can make but really i want to go bigger it's like that is you being capital creative of your life that's a godly moment be like oh, normally i resist and i'm actually going to embrace and it's the embracing that changes whatever it is you've been resisting and it changes you that's how you expand i was about to go on this trip for study abroad when i was in college and i remember the night before I had a friend coming to spend the night and we were going to go to the airport together. And I had this huge to-do list, right? Like I got to go to yoga. I got to get that in before I go. Like that was on the list. I got to pack, you know, before packing, I got to, I got to do this. I got to see the, you know, laundry list of unnecessary items. Right. I'd never left the country. I'm, I'm from a, you know, I'd never really traveled at all to that point. And it was a big, it was like a big deal that I was doing this. And my cousin, who is 10 years older than me and was kind of the only person in my family that I knew who had traveled, called me during the thick of this like kinetic tornado person running around energy before a trip, right? But like amplified because I was like basically a teenager and for the first time. So she calls me and I, I tell her everything I just told you. I'm like, yeah, thank you so much. It will be a good trip, but thank you. But I got to go because my friend's about to be here and I haven't done any of these things. And she said this line to me and she said, the trip starts now. And mm -hmm. it's now, it's when your friend is here, like just get into it. And I have embodied that. And I feel like what you said is sort of a practical use of that because whenever 
okay, the day was not how I planned. This was a twist I was not expecting. But the sooner I can soften to that, the sooner I can let go of my my clenching and my control, it still might suck. It still might be not what I prefer, but I'm a lot more likely to find something that is progressible than if I am clenching to how I wanted it to be and unable to let go of that. Is that, am I getting that right? Is that a similar concept of what you're saying? I mean, really it's a choice of, do you want to be miserable or do you want to be happier? You, you get to choose with your thoughts. So you can keep resisting. You can criticize yourself for messing it up. You can blame somebody else for you not getting what you want. Like all the things we all know, like that is like denser, heavier, lower vibe stuff. You can live there if you want, but you don't have to. You can I, like all of this, by the way, not that I really care is science backed. Like you can choose appreciation it changes how your brain fires. It changes the chemicals in your body. It calms your nervous system down way easier. You're way more fun to be with. You will, you know, and how you are being in this moment is going to create your next moment. How you, how you are today, the energy you are conducting today is going to magnetize what happens for you tomorrow. So. You want to be, as much as you can be, raising your vibration. And it doesn't mean you're happy about everything and you're, you know, and you're fake cheery or you're like pseudo shiny because, you know, that can be such a spiritual bypass, but you're just vibrating at a level of love, really. It's like I found something to love about myself today and about the day and the weather and the other person. That's, that's it. That's the spiritual practice. I found something to love today about all of this. And it's a tall order some days. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious how you practically do that and how you make that shift because, and I think this sort of relates to choosing higher thoughts and choosing a higher quality of thinking, which you talk about in the new book quite a bit and choosing loving thoughts and I, I'd love to hear your practical pivot. Like, how do you pivot when you're having a, when you're having a bad day or let's maybe even give an example of like, I had a plan for how I thought this would be. It is not that way. I can either hold on to how I wanted it to be. And this is something I really admire about you. And I have admired about you for years, your ability to pivot quickly, it seems, and making that judgment of, of doing it your way when you, when you need to, how do you do that? And how do you do that? <laughs> it goes back to the acceptance and it goes back to this underlying belief or even just a willingness to consider that everything is happening for a reason, that I am hugely responsible for creating what's happening, even if it's unconscious. I mean, most of what we create is coming from the unconscious self. So, so there's that. So that puts me in the state of like, okay, something meaningful is going on here. This isn't just, this isn't just a bad day. This isn't just a missed flight. Something deeper is happening. So like my most recent example, which gets to the point I opened up with about 
what you run from chases you. I was really sick a few months ago. I had some respiratory stuff. It's ongoing. Did all these tests, found out mold and metal toxicity in my system. And I just needed to get out of the cold climate that I live in. And so my language, my thinking around all of this was, I need to escape. I need to flee. And I walked into the travel agent. I never used a travel agent to book stuff, but I was so sick and desperate. I walked in and I literally said to her, I need to escape the city. Get me out. And all I wanted was sun. You know, I needed dry heat for my lungs. I needed salt water for my respiratory system. I needed silence to really sleep and rest. Everywhere we went, I went to Mexico, everywhere we went was the opposite of that. I did get the heat, but it was, it was loud. I got hotels with mold and mildew mm, and just kept yeah. having to escape over and over. Like we were sp- supposed to stay in three different places. We, over a period of three weeks, we stayed in seven different places because everywhere I'd go, I'd be like, well, I can't, I can't sleep here. I can't breathe here, etc." And then finally I'm crying on a lounge chair on the beach. And, you know, the irony and the privilege of that was not lost on me in that moment. I'm just like, okay, let's get it together. I'm in the sun. I'm on a beautiful beach. God is great. This is gorgeous. This is gorgeous. So, you know, kind of like calm myself down that way. And then I just realized that I had to get bigger than the circumstances. I had to like, I had to integrate. I had to embrace all this stuff that I was having this really painful aversion to the mold in the air included. And I just decided to rise above it. And I I really kind of made the vows like, I am going to get well, no matter what, because I'm that powerful. I'm going to really choose to be like quantum here. No matter how loud it is, I'm going to be able to rest. No matter what the air quality is, I'm I'm going to heal. And I'm not a victim of this and I'm not running. So it was like in that moment, I faced the situation as my strongest self. I think facing it, just say like, this is not what I wanted and I can turn this around. That was like this kind of empowering thrust. And we went to the next joint and it was amazing and quiet and I slept for a week and I healed deeply. But that is really a metaphor for well, a lot in my life. Yeah. It's acceptance, I think. And, and then also intimacy with yourself. You know, if if we say that relationships are mirrors and we all want to be seen and loved for who we really are, but we put on masks and hide because we're afraid to be seen for who we really are and not love. So we like, are holding but we I think we also do that to ourselves like if I if I don't look at Mm -hmm. this then I don't have to change it or admit it or pivot and yeah I think the 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 desire to want to escape was just probably part of you know I think if you can look at things at I mean it's also sort of saying believing things are happening for you like do you do you get down with that sort of thought mindset 
Yep. I think I go one notch deeper, which is things are happening for you to expand you. But more than that, things are actually happening through you. So it's like you are the conduit for loving kindness. You can also be the conduit for misery and contraction and division and all those things. Like it's really, I mean, this really gets into the meta philosophy that as above, so below. And that's helped me a lot over the last few years in the world with all this division and polarization that's gone on. It doesn't feel as severe right now, but it's still, it's all under the, it's gone back under the covers, you know, is to think, you know, when I saw someone who I thought was being tyrannical or narrow-minded or unkind, I said, okay, where's my inner tyrant? Where am I being narrow-minded? Where am I being unkind? And that's helped me kind of take the charge out of all the things I am, well, t- you know, tease the word of the hour, averse to. I have it in me. What does as above, so below mean to you? I mean, obviously I've heard mm-hmm. that a bunch, mm-hmm. but I'd love to hear your... Yep. When I am compassionate with myself, I run into people that day who are kinder. When I start the day on social media and there's some kind of, you know, little kind of rage bubble in me, I'm going to find it in the next couple of days. It's going to be with someone in a cafe or a guy trying to sell me running shoes or some little snarky comment in a DM. So whatever state I am being, what I am embodying, I am going to find showing up in my day. Yeah, that's such a great articulation of that. That made it go right in for me. Yeah, you, you because it's what we're attracting, but it, and what we're paying attention to, but you've given the distinction in, in this book, I think, where you say, instead of attracting, creating. Yes, this is the other, the other layer of as above, so below, which is, I think most of us can wrap our head around like whatever vibe I'm carrying, I'm going to magnetize. But the other thing to consider, which is kind of more exciting sometimes, is that, you know, all of this wisdom, the universal mind, the intelligence of nature, the divinity that we, you know, quote, look up to, that is all within us as well. And then there's another layer to this, which is we are meant to be heaven on earth, like part of our awakening and being kinder with ourselves and other people and more conscious is we are here to be sanity in the insanity, to be loving when things are so chaotic and ignorant and like there's so much hate and degradation happening right now. Like you really want to be powerful, be the antidote. So that's, that's the other layer of as above, so below be the antidote. Yeah. I feel like I really understand what you're saying. And I like, as you know, I am very familiar with your work and I, I love the way you articulate things. So I'm, I'm with you and I, I'm excited to, to talk this out with you because I feel like when I put this into practice, I have days where 
it's very easy, right? It's very easy to, to embody what you're, to integrate this, right? Like as someone who, and I know this was something we talked about in the first conversation when you did the podcast of self-help overwhelm and exhaustion. And, and I think we were in that then. And, and I think I've been learning how to integrate instead of using it as entertainment or just taking in, taking in, taking in. So, so to take this more experiential today is a good example. So it was just a new moon last night and I do this silly thing, or maybe it's not silly. And I'm sure you, you know this, but the apparently manifestation is extra potent during the 48 hours after the new moon. And I, I just like little rituals like that. And I have a specific journal that I, I do basically a more, more of less of gratitude lists and things I want to let go of list really quick. And then I write down, I don't know, however many things that I think that I want, right. Or would, would prefer. (laughs) And I just did it with a friend right before this. And, and one of the things on that list, he left and one of them just happened. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm powerful. (laughs) You know, like I just had a moment of it. It was without even, and it was one that I was not very attached to, right? Like Abraham Hicks talks about this a lot in the concept of if it's the thing that's really sticky in your brain, like that person must text me back or I have to get the book deal. Like those are trickier because we have more baggage. But if it's the thing that we're kind of like, would be cool. Like that can kind of come right in because we can take away our disbelief of it. But all of this to say, I can feel that, right? Like I can feel my, when I am prioritizing feeling better essentially, and I'm prioritizing being present, I look for reasons to believe that and continue that. And everything you're saying is easier. When I'm knocked down, it's harder to climb back up out of there. And mm-hmm. so I, I'm trying to, when that happens and it, and it lately has been like quite frequent, <laughs> I was talking about this with my friend about manifestation. And I was talking, you know, having this conversation and Eckhart Tolle obviously is, you know, his whole shtick is now like being present. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I heard someone ask him once a question about his take on manifestation. And he said in a very Eckhart Tolle way back, he said, who are you to think that you know what you want? And (laughs) I really liked that because I think it, it connects manifestation and I would love your take on this, but it took the pressure off for me where I was like, wow, in this little notebook, I check in with every new moon. Some of these things have happened. Some of them didn't happen. And I'm so glad they didn't because I actually didn't want them. And some of them might still or... And there are things I couldn't even conceive of in my tiny brain. But if I just keep moving forward and have a destination and a GPS, I can get rerouted. That's going to create progress and momentum for for more but it really does come down to being in the the moment and it also i think his take on manifestation also speaks to how you started this conversation about accepting what is right like if i look at if i walk through the world being like who am i to know what i want when i have a day that's not what i want i'm like well maybe this is what i want well i think you know who are you to know what you want is a bit is a bit cheap you know it's cheeky I would ask this question. Am I desiring something for my unhealed self? 
my shadow self, my wounded self, or am I desiring something from my whole self, from my heart, the intelligence of my heart? And I think, you know, most of us can look at a whole bunch of decisions (laughs) and choices and say, yeah, you know, I wasn't wanting that from the best part of me. That was, I just wanted to impress somebody. I wanted to get some love. I thought I never got in the past or yeah, that was a quality decision that I really felt calm about, peaceful and expanded about and the results are there. So I think what Eckhart is saying is a lot of us desire things from our ego self. And that is not the who that we want to be wanting stuff for us. And your soul does have the bigger picture. It is infinitely wiser, loves you unconditionally, and is tuned into universal mind. And you have access to that. I mean, we believe the illusion that we're separate from the higher self. And I think that's the who that we want to align with when we decide what we're going to write out for uh, intentions and things to manifest for the new moon, which by the way, I just did as well. Mm. Yeah. So I I was going to ask you your process for manifestation. Do you... Mm. Do you know why that that is with it? I have it. It's I, oddly I have a ex like a my book was journaling exercises and I have one about that, but I don't remember <laughs> what it what it is. Why do you do it around the new moon? Well, I do two things around the new moon. So the two days before the new moon are called the dark of the moon, or the Kali moon, or the Kalika moon. And it's when the shadow is most present, when there's the least amount of light. This is all, this is literal and symbolic in a way. And so what we want to do is we want to align ourselves with what's happening planetarily. So when things are fresh and new, you make promises, you vision, all that stuff. But we skip this phase of aligning with the darker time. Because, you know, it's heavier. But I think if everybody really start to pay attention, I mean, get yourself, this is easy, you just, you know, search for the a moon calendar and see how you feel two days before a new moon. Typically, a little bit heavier. Things are a little bit stickier, confusing, emotional. And that's actually, it is what it is. I mean, this is a great lesson and as is acceptance. So instead of resisting that, and feeling like, you know, you're kind of failing spiritually. We're trying to make yourself happy when things are meant to be cleaned out, clean out. So two days before the new moon, I do a journaling practice. We do this in our Heart Center membership all together, where I just do a bless and release writing practice. About 20 minutes, pencil to paper. What do I want to let go of? And, you know, this gets into like this bigger philosophy I have, which I think you, you kind of nodded to earlier, just like, how do we really let go of things? You don't, you can't let go of anything that you're resisting, right? Mm-hmm. I do a letting go ritual. And then once it's really a new moon, then I'll, I'll charge up, meaning, I, you know, I just give my attention to things I want to manifest and I have an actual like manifestation process. Um where 
I work with color frequency, like pinks and golds and, and I see and feel and just try and really sensualize the vignette, the visual that I want. And I literally, you know, in my inner world, water it with these light colors and I I tend to it on a regular basis. And I try not to change my vision. So, you know, what I tell people is you have a particular vision, thing you want to manifest. It's a lot like going into a restaurant, ordering dinner. You put your order in and you kind of change your mind. You call the waiter back and it's like, oh, I want this on the side. And then only, and then you want to add something, call them back and add this. You really are increasing your chances of getting like a confused, mixed up meal, not what you wanted and not on time. So it, I think it's better to take your time and really sense what it is that you truly want. And then you like, you weave <laughs> this vision and you give it all the color and then you commit to it and you, you feed that, you water that vision <clears throat> for a period of time, whether it's a couple months or a couple years, but don't mess with it too much. Wow. That's not at all how I've been doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes so much sense. I, I think with, in terms of manifestation, I, I liked the Eckhart bit because it sort of took me off the hook of like, I don't have to be clear. I don't have to commit to something. Mm. I don't have to know what I want. I don't have to go back to, you know, vintage Danielle Laporte desire map and <laughs> figure out how I want to feel. Like, I, I don't have to. Also, you know, I think your early work too with the desire map, which I love. And I'm just like, you know, joking about because mm. I love it. But it also is sort of a nod to that in a way where you and you said this many times, it's it's ingrained in my head where you would talk about that work in terms of focus how you want to on how you want to feel mm-hmm. because the hitting the goal, reaching it, you'd be like, Oh, I should have aimed higher. Or if you, you know, miss it, you'll feel bad. So what you were really saying was make sure you are working on this from not your ego. You're working on this mm-hmm. from your highest self because your focus, is that a connection? Yes. Yes. There's, there's two more kind of angles to this. One is, you know, I'm interested in having heart centered visions and ambitions. So, and I, I believe that when you have an intention, something that you want to manifest that includes the happiness of other people, that actually relates to the collective somehow, it's going to be of service somehow, I think the universe comes to your aid because that's alignment. That's higher consciousness. That's that's love. And the universe wants to just keep lifting us up in that way. The other thing is, once you have that vision and you do your exercise, so let's say, you know, the, the best time to do any kind of prayer, contemplation, meditation is in the morning because your mind isn't as filled with impressions and information and you're really just, you know, an open space and you're open for universal wisdom coming in, really just soul consciousness pouring into your, the vessel that is your mind. Um, you want to do your morning work, ideally. Do your visualizing, water that seed, and let it go. Just let it go. 
Because again, it's like changing the order. Like you could send this balloon up, this vision to heaven, like, you know, dear life, this is my wish. And you keep tugging on it and throughout the day saying, I hope, I hope, I hope it's got to come true. got to come true. That is not you having a faithful, trusting relationship with the divine. So like treat yourself like the powerful being that you are. Put in your order, power it up and get on with your present day. Yeah, I I like that. I mean, I've been really struggling with focus Mm -hmm. and feeling like I get to the end of the day and I'm disappointing myself. And I think it's because I've lacked the clarity and I'm, I'm craving completion that I'm not getting. So, Mm. and then holistically, maybe I, maybe this sort of a clarity practice around, you know, broader visions would be useful too. The last thing that needs to be said in every manifestation conversation is like, you might not get it. And you just got to trust, like, it'll come later or it'll come in another existence or it's not going to come at all. And something better is coming or it's for your expansion. So this is why, you know, I like to pray first and say, okay, soul, what do you want from me? And usually the answer is like just super simple, like happiness and health. It's not that specific. I mean, really, and and this does go back to Eckhart's point about who are you to think you know what you want, is for some enlightened beings, there is very little desire. There's there's no goal setting (laughs) for, you know, lots of masters, sages. There is just the flow of life. What you get is what you meet. And, you know, there's nothing on the bucket list. So... Where I'm at, you know, since I haven't reached enlightenment yet, is I am doing a, I don't want to say better, but I'll say better. I'm doing a better job of wanting for less. And it's really great. It's actually, it's very energy efficient. And it's just as joyful, just as much joy in my life by wanting Less of everything, really. I mean, I want I want more love and healing and expansion and common sense in the world. And I'm pretty singular, singularly focused about that. And of course, I want to be healthy. But these days, I'm, I'm just, I'm wanting for less stuff. I don't need what I used to think I needed. Maybe that's what Eckhart is saying. <laughs> but like... I thought, you know, more likes and more subscribers and all of that would fill up a part of me. And it's fun, but it's fleeting. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, similarly, like I, I think about ambition a lot. And when, when we spoke last, we'll use that as as an example, because it's actually kind of an interesting time for me. I was like days away from my book coming out. I was about Mm -hmm. to move to New York and I sort of had this, you know, kid, you're going to be a star. (laughs) Like I had such an ambition and got my heart broken a bunch of times. And I had all these experiences happen. And then here I am on the other side of 30 and the other side of a, or whatever we're in with a pandemic. And I moved coasts and I could have never conceived of the furthest West I'd been was Chicago growing up. Like I couldn't (laughs) conceive of living here and my life here. And I'm really happy that it shook out this way. 
but I would have never written it down in my new moon journal and chosen it. And I, I now don't have the ambition that I had when I was talking to you last at all. It's so simple. I, I, and I, I think it's a mirror of what you just said, but my prayer is really a version of for the highest good of all concerned mm-hmm. because I just want to be able to keep doing this. Like, I'm honestly not sure I'm going to be able to, and that's no problem. I'll get a full-time job or I'll figure it out. But it's not even that I want stagnation or I want simplicity, but I don't know. Maybe it's a a level of acceptance, but I just know that that stuff doesn't, it's fleeting. And I, and I know it's, I know what's possible for me and what isn't at this point. And I've, I've kind of, you know, at a certain point you're like, you're never going to be a prodigy again. You have to just accept that one. And like, then, then they just keep kind of snowballing from there. So yeah, I guess changing our relationship to ambition is related to all of this too. As we're growing, we really do start to want for less. I mean, this is, you know, I'm idealizing this, but what we do want for is more meaningful. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Cured Nutrition. I love Cured. I've been working with them for many years. And this time I want to talk about a specific product that they have. It's called Zen. Zen is a nootropic formulated by Cure's very own in-house clinical herbalist, and it contains a blend of reishi mushroom, ashwagandha, chamomile, passionflower, and broad-spectrum CBD. Listen, I have a code for you. The code is let it out, as you know, it always is, but I've been taking Zen. It helps me sleep better, and when it comes to wellness, you can know that cured is the real deal when it comes to true wellness and health we can rave about all the latest fads but the truth is getting a good night's sleep is honestly more beneficial to true well-being than any fad out there and getting several hours of sleep being you know ready for bed prior several hours before winding down that's a really good habit to be in and you know what I'm working on better sleep hygiene and I've been working on it for a long time and you know what I'm gonna get better and you know what's helping me zen I started including zen in my bedtime routine if you will I take it about 45 minutes before falling asleep and I feel really satisfied with the results because you know what those results are more restful sleep and i don't know if you've ever experienced waking up groggy and foggy it's terrible but with zen you don't feel that you wake up refreshed and how often can you say that it's really really wonderful and it's very gentle and right now cured is extending an exclusive offer to you the listeners of this podcast, you can go grab Zen for 20% off by using the code Let It Out at checkout. This blend of functional mushrooms, adaptogens, and cannabinoids will have you sleeping like a baby, really. Um, have you sleeping like never before is really what it says. And, you know, there's no melatonin and it's chronically, you know, melatonin can be overused on the market and it can make people groggy, but you can wake up feeling refreshed 
with Zen. Again, I, I already told you, but there's Rishi. There's also magnesium. Magnesium's great. I've been taking it for years. This has it in it. It's got CBD, 20 milligram dose. Ashwagandha, passion flower. That helps keep you calm. We all want to be calm, right? Anyway, I think you'll really like it. Again, the code is let it out. And that's 20% off using that code. Thank you, Cured. This week's episode is brought to you by the Women's Meditation Network. What is the Women's Meditation Network? That's a great question. Listen, at the Women's Meditation Network, they create and publish guided meditations and music through an expanding network of podcasts. They currently have 11 podcasts available at your fingertips right now. You can listen to any of them. Their intentions are that you will use the meditations to calm down, sleep better, and feel less stressed. I need all those things. And and get this, you can find a space within your meditation experience to get to know yourself better. We also love that. And there's just so many options that'll make you feel nourished by the words and music that they weave together during these meditations. And you'll be able to understand that meditation is not a perfect practice and it doesn't have to be so serious all the time. The important thing is to use it as a powerful tool when you need it. Use it being the, you know, bold bit there for a reason, because that's what you got to do, right? Using it makes it work if you don't use it. So listen, there's so many podcasts, 11, right? That's a bunch. I'm going to talk to you about the one that I really love and have been using. So this is the one. So it's called Sleep Sounds Meditation for Women. It's one hour. The episodes are so easy to press play, fall asleep with ease. They range from relaxing sleep meditation music, ambient and nature sounds, binarial beats, white noise, and more. That's so many good sounds in one podcast that I can put on with my sleep timer. I really love it. Honestly, I'm going to do it right after this. And that's what I need and what I love. I love having background sound on. I like having just little bits of noise all the time. I really like it. It really makes me happy. So go follow Sleep Sounds Meditation for Women now wherever you listen to podcasts and you can start listening for free today. Just search Sleep Sounds Meditation for Women and you'll you'll find it. And you can also go to their entire meditation network. You can go on your favorite podcast app or visit womensmeditationnetwork.com. Thank you so much. This is such a great tool. Good night. This week's episode is brought to you by Rethinking Wellness. It's a new podcast. Guess who makes this podcast? It's a friend of mine, a friend of the show, the creator of Food Psych, Christy Harrison. If you don't know Christy, she is a journalist. She's a registered dietitian. She's the author of the book Anti-Diet, which came out in 2019, and the forthcoming book called The Wellness Trap, which comes out in April. I got to read an early copy and it's really, really good. And listen, 
Christy, you you probably know her. She's been on the show a couple times. She she's someone who, you know, she's my friend, but her work has actually helped me so much starting in 2013 and now she is starting a new project. It's a new podcast to continue the conversations from her new book, which explores the connections between diet culture and wellness culture, how the wellness space became rife with scams, misinformation, and can inadvertently lead people down a path of disordered eating and other harmful behaviors, and how the shortcomings of the conventional healthcare system make so many of us vulnerable to false promises and how you can find actual true well-being within all of that. On her new show, you'll hear from people who've learned to navigate this tricky landscape, including scholars and experts on media literacy, wellness culture, critics of social media and the attention economy, and people who have fallen into the wellness trap and begun to find their way out, including her, including Christy herself. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And listen, I'm going to give you something off script. I'm actually going to be on the show. (laughs) I'm going to be interviewing Christy about her new book and even hosting some in-person book events at bookstores in LA and New York potentially. So more on all of that really soon. My really close friend wrote a book recently and she was talking about manifesting and I think something to to bring up about it and I I'm sure you've probably talked about this somewhere but I don't know if I've if I've heard your take on this and I'm curious is the dangerous side effects of it basically or that's the way she articulated it and she you know she gives the example of how Marianne Williamson wrote in 1992 in her book, A Return to Love, that sickness is an illusion and does not exist. And then cancer and AIDS and other physical illnesses are physical manifestations of a psychic scream. And then during the 2020 campaign that that she was in, disability rights activists wrote about this ableist rhetoric and that brings up real concerns. And then there's also, you know, of course, that the meme that went around so much of maybe you manifested it, maybe it's white privilege. And the take of like, what people talk about all, always with manifestation, you know, a ch- child in a horrific situation is, you know, they're like, did they manifest it? Like, I believe, of course not, you know, like, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, as someone who can think that those things aren't quite right. And also, I wrestling with two truths at the same time of like, I did write down some intentions in my notebook, but I also don't believe an innocent child manifested their situation. I just would love your take on manifestation being, being harmful. I do believe that the soul is dispensing everything, all of our lessons, all of our gifts, all of our challenges and the response to all challenge and victimization and tragedy and attack is immediate, unwavering compassion. So you don't say to a child or to that, an adult who is wrestling with the wounds of abuse or, you know, whatever the tragedy was, you don't 
lead with, you manifested this. You lead with compassion. You lead with how can we get you resources for healing, whether it's psychic, financial, energetic, material, whatever that is. You have nothing but compassion for everything in their life. I have to have nothing but compassion for all of the traumatizing circumstances that I have created in my life, unconsciously, pre-birth, messily, in adulthood, all those things. I take a a multi-incarnational view that, and you know, this isn't for everybody, but this is how I walk through the world. I believe that I'm going to try on every role in existence by the time my soul returns back to its source awareness. So in some lifetimes and circumstances, I will be the victim. I will be the vanquisher. I will be the impoverished. I will be the amply blessed. All those things. Consciousness is about being able to hold seemingly conflicting perspectives. So I am making space for both. For me, that actually gives me a lot of comfort. I don't feel like any deity is out to punish me. I don't feel like I'm out to punish myself when I create suffering, when I attract suffering. There's lots of times where I feel blindsided is is an intense word, but like, you know, did not see that suffering coming, did not see that challenge coming. And I, you know, beg for mercy for my higher self and all the unseen forces to help me understand why what's happening is happening. It's interesting, like a friend of mine and someone who's done the, the show a couple of times over the years, but she has her, her work is around manifestation, right? And the way she articulates it, her language around it is great and, and goes right in. And I, I really understand it. And I, and you know me well enough that through this conversation that I like learning about this stuff as, as you do. And, and we take it in quite easily. It's the, in my case, the integration that, that is a slower and, and her thought on this is, you know, our, our subconscious beliefs, it, you know, much like you're saying, our, our, our thoughts trying to have, choose the higher thought. And, and I, I'm with you on that. But then the piece around our subconscious beliefs, right? And having to mm-hmm. rewire those and that those are really running the show. And those were, were kind of baked into us through until we were maybe nine. And, and it's that reprogramming bit, which, you know, I know you can do and I've, and I've done and EMDR and therapy and mm-hmm. writing it out on all the, and all that. And I, and I, I get that. But at a certain point, you know, I'm, I'm 32 years old. I have been working on myself for a long time. And I, I realize the more I try, the more I, my, I clinch or I try to reprogram them, do the therapy, do all the things, the less success I have. And the more I let go and just forget about it, live my life, not even try. I have been the only times that I've had any sort of anything work out for me, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say I'm a willy nilly 
manifester and maybe I am because I do think there's some a little bit of misdirection. And I think you maybe you maybe just changed everything for me with that that clarity bit you you gave me, but or gave all of us. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I guess what's your take on that? If if I'm someone who you know doing the reprogramming exercises, like is there a certain point where you sitting in my old shit, I can just stop doing and I can try to move forward? Or is it always necessary to work on those and try and try and try to uncover those subconscious beliefs? You want to see the weeds in your garden, but you don't want to get too distracted by them, right? It's like whatever we've been through in any lifetime is going to have an impact on us. We need to look at the impact, the pain it caused, the trauma, all the psyche, bruising, all that stuff, but not identify as that. So I want to flip it. It's like the question becomes, what are you identifying as? And this is really, you know, my favorite nuggets and how to be loving. Yeah, me too. You are not the wound. You're the healer. And this is the, this is the challenge of the psychological space and unearthing our trauma do it go look at the effects recapitulate your past this is part of waking up it's part of being whole you have to move on with it you have to be bigger than it you can't keep telling the same story because you're re-energizing that pain you've got to for the sake of sanity and freedom and happiness. You've got to focus on the life you want to create and focus on what's working. I mean, one of my most, you know, all the money I've spent on therapy and some really skilled people, one of the most profound moments was like my first session I had with one of my favorite psychotherapists, Michael. And, uh, he sit on the floor, he has all these pillows in his face and sit cross-legged, you know, and he just kind of shrugged and he said, so what's working? Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's, well, that's what I'm paying all this money for. But really I got like, that is it. What's working? You know, what I say in how to be loving is that we actually don't need to fix ourselves, which is really the essence of your question. We don't need to fix ourselves. Ideally, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the light that we are. We're going to focus on our true nature, on our divinity, on our creative capacity, on our loving nature. And whatever isn't the same vibe, it just starts to kind of dissolve. You've just been through this muddy patch in your car. You know, your vehicle's covered in mud and you just... Don't fo- focus on the hard thing you just went through. Just get in the car. Focus on where you want to go, that you have the capacity to navigate. And all the mud, it just starts to disintegrate, fly off. You get where you want to go. Yeah. Or <laughs> you can not get in the car at all. And you'd be like, how are we going to get all the mud off the car? Just get in the car. Just, just, fo- just go keep going in love. One thing that's been really therapeutic, a word, helpful, just helpful in the la- where the world's been and then where my own nervous system has been is like, it's essential for me to have beautiful visions of the future. It's almost like a prescription. Keep going. 
nourish the beautiful vision. Have faith in the beautiful vision. Do a little something today, this afternoon, to help create that beautiful vision. That's a choice. That's a choice. Keep you sane. Otherwise, you go crazy. That's so good. It's so good. Yeah, and I, I think it kind of speaks to your your previous point about having that clarity and sticking to the vision is just get moving. You know, just when you get moving, you're able to reroute or you're able to redirect, you're able to, but that some momentum is created. And I think by having, like you said, a a beautiful vision for the future, it's a level of optimism. It's a level of will to continue Mm -hmm. that I, I really like. Mm -hmm. What related to that sort of there's this level of self-honesty that I want to talk about a little bit. And you've written about self-forgiveness versus self-discipline. Can you talk about that distinction and how you learned it? Well, let me refer to Krishnamurti. Whenever someone mentions discipline, I'm like, oh, I can bring in some Krishnamurti. I love it. So Krishnamurti, this, this was one of his first, the first theories of his I came across. So he's a great, great mystic passed away like in the 80s he was he was from india ended up doing most of his teaching in ojai california and he said discipline is a tool that numbs the mind discipline is a tool that numbs the mind i was just like that's it that is why we can use different methodologies and steps and religions and practices and we can, we never tap our real strength. We're just becoming robots. So I've always been really suspect of routines and accountability systems, you could say. I think that forgiveness and self-forgiveness, of course, being part of that is really what we're being called to right now on the planet. That um, if we can tap that loving kindness, that inclusiveness, like true inclusiveness. Everybody's in. All aspects of yourself are in. Your shadow, your light, their shadow, their light. Like you've got room for, you've got room for the criminals. You got room for your in-laws, all of it. Like you can just, you don't have to agree with everybody. You don't have to want to hang out with everybody, but you've got space for like, They chose to be here at the same time as you respect and forgiveness versus discipline is, I think the difference between potentially with discipline, overcoming something, going into some kind of robotic obligation, punishment kind of thinking, as opposed to rather than Forgiveness being, I love myself unconditionally no matter where I'm at. That will change your life, change your life. I mean, my experience has been, if I can just even consider forgiving myself for the things I'm really embarrassed by, ashamed of, I start to feel closer to God. And, you know, I was just just having this great conversation with David G, this really lovely meditation teacher. and. We were talking about the different different periods of our life where we really woke up to like, God, I've got to really got this punishment thing 
this, not like a kink, like a, an image of a punitive God. And David was saying, you know, I just decided like, that's not my God. And I have, you know, and his words were, my God is a benevolent God. And I want to be my own benevolent God. And when I can be that, I sleep better and I'm way more fun to be around. Yeah. With discipline, I, I I think about it a lot because in eating disorder recovery, like they, they talk a lot about the ability to be so disciplined. And sometimes that can be a compliment to people. And this reframe is so useful. And at the same time, I think because I was so rigid and because I was so dogmatic and because I was so disciplined for so long, I feel like I, if it's a spectrum, I may be overcorrected and moved all the way to the other end of the spectrum where I'm barely getting my work done. I'm hanging out with my friends all the time. And, you know, and I think that overcorrection was good, but I do need to find some better energy management or boundaries or, you know, I thought to call it self-discipline and I don't think that's the right term yet, but keeping myself in in check, there's a self-honesty to know like, yes, I can be gentle. And I did that. I did that. That that was true at a time. But have you ever had a period where you're like, gentleness is great and usually what's needed, but actually I need to, you need a little bit more. How do you handle that? I have a hard time focusing. Sometimes I can be highly distractible. There's lots of times I want, don't want to do what I have to do. Eckhart's got some great stuff around uh, obviously presence, but like if you have to do it and you don't want to, can you find a way to create some enjoyment around it? Cause we all have to be grownups. Um, otherwise really you want to be hanging out in a state of enthusiasm my struggle, my growth edge has been, I'm wired for overwork. I'm wired for productivity, hyper productivity. So I've had to learn that if I push away from my desk at five or six o'clock, humanity is going to go on. I will still be a loved member of society and the divine has got me. On the dark days when I'm, I struggle with that, then I just take on another project and I stay up late to finish it and, you know, I have crackers for dinner. That's not love. I wanted to talk about time. And I think that is kind of related to, to this a bit. And at least in, you know, work that we are in charge of managing our, our schedule in most ways. What is your relationship to time? I know you've talked about tyrant time versus power time. Can you talk a little bit about how you, I've been talking more about energy management than time management Mm -hmm. and how you, I'd love to know how you view those things. Mm. I think time is bendable. So, you know, maybe I got to get across town in 15 minutes and it's a 20 minute drive without getting a ticket or hurting it. I just think I'm going to hit all the green lights. I'll get there. I think procrastination can be a form of intuition. So I'm really in a practice of like, do I feel like I have the energy to do this right now? Like the, and by energy, I mean the enthusiasm. I'm not enthusiastic about it. I don't do it. And sometimes it just goes away or I wake up the next day. I'm like, I got the idea. I got the way and boom, out it just flows out. 
you know, as a someone who's a creative for my career, I've never been the kind of person who says, I got to write 500 words today and just keep writing every day. Like, I don't feel like writing today, and, but I might write a whole new chapter tomorrow. My podcast schedule gets interrupted all the time because I'm not inspired. And then it's not unlike me to record five episodes in two days. So I really just, I really honor the inspiration because when I'm inspired, it's so much more energy efficient. And then I struggle with the everyday things. I, like, I really, I love visuals. So you can imagine like, I'm, I just love spending like that extra 15 minutes every hour <laughs> on Instagram. So just really subjected to social media addiction. One thing I, I do do well is my morning practice and how I set the day. So I don't check my emails. This is like five to six days out of the week. Sometimes I, I do mostly wake up immediately go into prayer and some form of meditation by some form. I mean, it's a very direct, explicit meditation practice, but I'm either sitting at home or I'm walking and, um, and then I rock and roll, but really nothing happens until I set the tone of my day. That way I tap into universal mind. I get my, I get a couple cues sometimes, not always. And I feel longer term, like the bigger time picture, you know, I've just fairly recently, like in the last year or two, two years, I've fallen in love, super committed and it really is one of those relationships where, you know, I've waited my whole life for this yeah. and I have no, um, I don't wish I could do it over. I don't, I mean, if I could meet him when I was five, that might be fun, but I just am really like today is it. I have, I have very few regrets about quote wasted time or things I didn't get years ago or today is it and today is great wow that's really cool i'm really glad that happened for you and that really is mm. expanding for me and i'm yeah i'm really really happy to hear that thank you thank you well i have i have two last last little things but this is sort of a reflection and and maybe has a little bit of a question but i was you know thinking about you a lot in these past couple of days and my years long relationship parasocially with you. And there was this video that I watched in maybe 2012, maybe 2013. I don't know if you have any memory of this at all, but I, Danielle watched it on repeat. I, it's as if I, I still remember lines from it and you, it was a talk you gave for wonderlust. Is this ringing a bell? Keep going. <laughs> You come out on stage. You're so cool. The first thing you say, and I say this to myself whenever I'm, you know, if I've led a workshop or at the time I was, I was teaching yoga and I would always say this to myself because I loved it so much. But the first thing you said was my goal is to be useful. And then you started your talk and it was unlike any of the other speakers. It was unlike anyone else on that stage. And I, I just found this video on YouTube. I think it was maybe my first touch point to you or maybe not. I'm not sure, but 
it was it was early on and and I don't remember that much about the content of the talk, but I remember a few things and I remember how it made me feel, obviously. And that's the most important bit. And I think you'd agree. But but one thing that you talk about in that, which I would love to hear your take on now, but it was about pivoting, I think. Because what I remember you saying is you give an example, I think, from your own life of the teams moving forward. You give, you definitely give your background in this talk and you talk about, you know, working in a think tank and you give, you know, your robust background, which we covered in the last episode. And, and you talk about how a project had moved forward and having the bravery to say, you know what? It's not right. I want to, I want to switch. I, I have the intuition. I want, it's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to be this. It's going to be that, but I'm going to, I'm going to pivot and being able to do that. And at the time, you know, I had no, concept of of what that would be like or what that you know it was just words for me and then over my life there were times when i had to do that or i wasn't able to do that or i did that and i you know and it it has really 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 stuck with me of like am i going to just go with it or am i going to do the hard thing and anyway i i'm just curious if you remember that if you have a take on that now if you've had to do that since yeah this is about having the courage to make the 11th hour change and I really think I'm, I'm, I'm like making a gross generalization, but I really think that when we can do that and pull the plug or <laughs> leave the wedding, whatever it is, it's the difference between a lot of years of mediocrity and then as, as opposed to uh, like smooth sailing after rocky transition. It's um, the ego doesn't want to pull the plug at the last minute because people have invested because you put all the time in because you got the logo because you raised the money because you booked the reservations, whatever it is. And I think what happens is when it's time to like really cross the line you actually become more aware. It's like this pressurized, it's like tunnel vision. You can really actually see more clearly in one particular direction. And, you know, we ignore those moments that are own peril. I think that's why people end up married to people that, you know, aren't the best for them. We do all sorts of crazy things because we don't want to look bad. So we go through with stuff. And my experience has been, you know, I pulled lots of plugs at the 11th hour and, um, I do it fewer. I do it. I do it lesser now. Does that, does that, sacramentally, I don't do it as much now because I'm just clear about what I want and what works for me, but it's worth the risk. It's worth the ego risk. And people don't, you're going to let people down temporarily. You're going to disappoint some people for a little bit. You may have to reorganize some relationships, but do that, you know, to be free, to follow your soul's guidance, which is always superior to that of your ego mind. Oh, Got to do it. Yeah. Do you remember that talk? <laughs> uh, I think that was a wanderlust. Yeah. Uh, what was it called? A speakeasy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that was in Whistler. I do remember I had this great kind of 
flowy tank top on and bare feet. I think that was it. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a real moment in time. It was very cool. This is sort of self-serving, but I would just love your answer to this. You, As someone who's been interviewed so many times and has interviewed other people and a great conversationalist and speaker, what makes a good interview and what makes a good conversation? Well, this is really enjoyable and I think accessible. I'm not just blowing sunshine your way, but accessible for people because what I can sense from this conversation is that like you actually really want to genuinely understand without pressuring yourself to agree. Like you don't have to agree with me so that you look good to me or the audience, but you really want to kind of drive down the concept, which is really cool. Being on time is great. I love it when people are on time. And I am actually not that. Lots of people will say research makes a great interview. I don't, that hasn't always been my experience. I think presence makes a great interview and really following. It's it's great to have prepared questions for sure. You know, keep the rhythm going but really following what your guest is saying. And, um, and I just want to personally thank you for not asking me at the beginning of this interview, how I got to where I am and where it all began. (laughs) Because I can tell you that is everybody's hands down. We can take a survey, uh, least favorite question. You know what Mm -hmm. everybody says you can watch if you, if you see, um, uh, you know, filmed interviews, just watch the body language of the interviewee when they're asked that question. They're pissed off for sure. <laughs> what they really want to say is, you invited me on. Like, <laughs> can you just read my bio before we get going? Like, let's get into where we are now. Yeah. I've learned to just roll with that question. I used to get all inwardly cranky about it. And I'm just like, okay, we're going to begin there. And I just answer what I, I just say what I want to say. I don't go back to the beginning. I just say, well, you know, there's been lots of twists and turns. And what I'm really interested in now is this. That's helpful on the other side. I don't, I don't ask that anymore because I'm, I'm uninterested in it, but I I sure did the first 10 years ago when I was doing this, I, I get asked that and I have not taking it as well. Not, it doesn't even necessarily bug me. I'm just quite long winded and I'm not even, I don't even have that much to say, but somehow I'm like, all right, well, I grew up in Michigan. I was three weeks late. <laughs> you know, like I, I get, I don't need to say all that. I can just direct it to be like, I don't know. I've done a couple of things here. I am now that's, that's very useful. Yeah. Just, just a few key things that are relevant to what you have to offer today. And it might be that you were three weeks late. And it's some sweet little anecdotal thing that has to do with like how you like to take your time and your process or something like that. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I love that. And thank you. And I love you. And I I really appreciate your work and and that you wanted to do this again. And it it means so much. And I I did I didn't over prepare. I I'm fascinated by interviewers and studying them. And I read that. Larry King would very specifically not read the person's book or watch their movie or whatever. So he would go in completely cold. And I take a more like 
Goldilocks approach to that where I do take in the person's work, but I'm trying, I've learned a lot over doing these to not be overprepared because it doesn't go as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I feel that way when it comes to speaking gigs, like, first of all, the pressure of memorizing and being quote, super prepared just created more nervousness. I found like, if I just know how I want to begin, how I want to end and the couple points I want to make and stories to back up those points. And then I just, I just flow and I'm really not great at rehearsals. I don't want to rehearse. I don't want to rehearse. Just, I want to be live. I want to be live. Yeah. 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 I, I totally relate to that. And I think it goes back to your, your point you said about interviews of, of it being best when you're present, because if I'm too prepared, I'm distracted with, okay, I got to get this question in and that one I really wanted and we don't have time. And same thing with the, with a speaking gig. And I, and I think even, you know, the, the live element of it allows for presence to unfold really naturally. And that the alternative takes away from that in a way that you miss why is live theater so good? Like when people mess up, you know, it's like, we want the, we want realness. I think that's, what's attractive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we want genuine. It can't be recreated, and yeah, even I, I, if I hang, I often you know have friends on or strangers who become friends, and if we hang out during when we're recording, I'm always like, let's hang out after because I don't want to, I don't want to talk about, it. I don't want to rehearse, you know. Well, anyway, I will let you go. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you wish that I would have asked that you didn't get to talk about? Is there something that you really? have been, you know, thinking about that you want to say, or did I squeeze you for all your juice? <laughs> mm, we got lots of good stuff in there. No, I feel complete. Let me just ask myself, if there's anything to gift in terms of nuggets. Yes. This is what comes to my heart is receptivity and that Your higher self, your soul, the universal mind is really trying to get to you. (laughs) It's really trying to pour wisdom into you. And like, we want to know what's around the corner and it wants to help us see what's around the corner. It wants to help us make the next best move in our lives. We just need to be still. And then of course, have the courage to act on what we hear. But we're so often just busy kind of constructing the quarterly objectives or the strategies, and really like in earnest, contemplating what the best move is, but not actually just being still and spacious and quiet and just seeing what drops in. And I think receptivity is counterculture and it's the medicine that we all need right now to just relax and let the higher guidance give you the cue thank you for that Mm. i loved that well the show is called let it out so we always end letting out a deep breath which is funny because you were just talking about receptive but to to clear it out to make space for the receptiveness (laughs) will Mm. you do a deep breath with me okay let's go okay inhale let it out (sighs) thank you so much danielle so good. Let's talk before the next seven years is up. Yes. Yes, okay. please. I would love that. And hopefully see you in LA. Yeah. 
Thank you so, so much. Um, have a great rest of your night and we'll, t- we'll talk on the internet before. Yes, lots of love. Thank you. This was great. Have a good evening. Thank you too. Bye. Bye, love. Thank you so much for listening. That was my conversation with Danielle Laporte. Everything we talked about is linked in the show notes as usual, including her membership, which is called her heart-centered membership. And she mentioned it in the part where we were talking about intention setting and the new moon and her exercises there's so much in there it's really cool and i think you would like it the links in the show notes and we're taking next week off but we'll be back very soon and i am so grateful that you listened this week you got a whole archive if you really feel as though you want another week of my voice and someone else's voice talking to each other i'm so grateful that you listened and If you're not on the Let It Out letter, my newsletter that I send out every week or so, feel free to join. That's a way we can stay connected. In the meantime, I have so many good episodes coming up and I'm really excited for you to hear them. Thank you again so much for being here and bye-bye. This episode is edited by Brianna Bain. Oh, and if you're listening to this the day it comes out or soon after it comes out, and you're in LA and you want to come, I'm doing a workshop. I'm doing a journaling workshop at the bookstore in my neighborhood. It's called The Pop Hop. The info and where to sign up, it's free. You just have to RSVP or you don't even really have to RSVP. You can just come, but it's in Highland Park. I would love to meet you. It's the first time I'm doing a meetup or an event of any kind in LA since I've moved here. So I would love to get together with you if you listen to this podcast. Bring your friends, bring your family, bring strangers, bring, you know, your enemies. I'll see you then. Okay, one more announcement, which is that I have two spots left in my one-on-one creative consulting. So if you have been thinking about it, book a session. If you have no idea what it is and are curious the link is in the show notes if you are not in either of those categories no problem i'll see you in two weeks